Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for church online today. And and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, But but also, we don't want to be your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Good morning. What's up? So, for those of you that don't know me, my name's John. I'm actually the newest pastor here at rest. I was actually researching that on the way over here today. It's almost one year to the day. Yeah, so. Absolutely. So, um, super humbled to be up here um, and teaching. And I want to elaborate a little bit on what we got going on here. If you guys are new or if this is like your second or third week maybe, from the first of the year until this week, we had kind of a center of the room thing. We were calling it the living room, trying to kind of get rid of that line of us up there and you guys down here, and we're trying to facilitate the kind of family that we want to have here. So this is the peninsula setup. I don't know what we're going to call it, but that's kind of what I feel. And it makes me think of this uh, stand-up comedian joke one time. Like standing up here yesterday or the other night when I stand here, it's kind of like there's an angry mob and you guys are all chasing me and closing in. And at the last minute, you're like, ah, we'll just sit down. So that's what it feels like. I feel surrounded, but I like it. So with all that being said, I want to highlight a few things that Pastor A.B. went through last week that really stuck with me. And just to catch us up. So we've been studying the book of Romans. This is week five. And I'm jazzed about it. I don't know about you guys, but already five weeks worth of just me studying and reading from the point of teaching it to you. I've I've learned more than years worth of my Christian walk. The first thing I want to talk about, and the first thing that he pointed out, was Paul's thankfulness in verse verse eight of last week. Paul starts off everything with thankfulness. And that's really, really, really important because we do too. We should. I know from a perspective of me in my life, when I start not thanking God first, it's really easy for me to put myself in a position where I feel like I've done it or I feel like it was my obedience or even my humbleness or something else that's allowed God to work in my life to get me to where he's at. And it's just not true. It's all Jesus all the time. So that was the first thing that he highlighted that I thought was really important enough to stress again this week is Paul's thankfulness. In every letter that he writes, he starts with thankfulness. And the cool thing here is that he was thankful because of the faith of the church of Rome that he heard throughout the entire region. 
We'll get into it in a minute about how much this man really traveled and how much he'd really gone through. But what's really cool here is that he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I mean, I don't have to reiterate it, but I'm going to anyway. We know they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have news. They didn't have Channel 6. But somehow the faith of this body of believers had rippled through thousands of miles. People, the entire region was talking about the faith that was building and stirring in this church in Rome, enough to where the apostle Paul wrote to thank God about it. And then the part that really struck me is that he even brings the Lord into it. But he says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in his gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you. Now he brings the Lord into that, not to say I swear to God or anything of that nature, but he's highlighting the fact that, look, I am genuinely praying for you Every time I think of you, every time I think of the church in Rome, I'm praying for you. My heart is longing for you. I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm constantly in prayer with the Holy Spirit about you. And he even says, like, like, don't take my word for it. The Lord can attest that I'm telling you the truth. And it really struck me is that he's praying for a church that he did not plant and he had never been to, but he is, he is so in tune with Jesus and the Holy Spirit that he is praying for a church that he's never been to, that he didn't plant without ceasing. Now, I pray for this church pretty often. I can say that. But I don't even pray for my own church without ceasing. And I think we can all get a little bit of a gut check there of just his, his father's heart of just wanting the gospel to continue to spread. And finally, we see something else I'm going to highlight a little bit on later too. But we see his submission. Because in verse 10, we see that he's finishing up in verse 9, always in my prayers. Asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So another thing that I've picked up in this first chapter of Rome is that you can have a godly desire. You can have something that is wrapped up and tied in a nice bow that you know is, you can, you can check mark all the boxes in scripture that it's a good godly thing, but without God's timing, it's not a complete work. So we know that Paul wanted to come desperately. He's even going to repeat it again in the scripture that we read today. He desperately wanted to go to the church at Rome. But whether it was his duties at other churches, I mean, we believe he wrote this letter out of the, from the church at Corinth. So, I mean, Maybe it was church duties there. Maybe it was political stuff. Maybe the Holy Spirit had held him back because he knew that when he uh, went to Rome, inevitably he was going to end up in jail. Um, We don't really know all the reasons, all the things that held Paul back from Rome. All that we know is that he wanted to go and he couldn't. And instead of being defeated in what he wanted to be doing, he decided, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to worship God right where I'm at today. And so with that being said, it kind of catches us up to where we're going to start off today. But I want to pray for us real fast, and then uh, we'll get into Scripture. Lord Jesus, thank you so much just to be a part of a body of believers here. 
that at the core I know want to take your name and glorify it and to make disciples that will spread from Paducah and continue to glorify it. And God, I say it all the time, but let us not play church today. Let us have a real word from you of just what it really means to be a church, what it really means to have your Holy Spirit go before us. And God, I pray that we would just walk away from here today with something from you that will last into eternity. And I ask that as we do this, God, that I would decrease and that you would increase. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to throw up. <laughs> throw up. Ha, ha, ha. We're going to throw these scriptures up on the, on the screen. Hey. We're going to throw these scriptures up. We're going to start in verse 11. So if you have a Bible... I'll steal Cody's joke. If you have the little pamphlet like we got over there, it's like page eight because we're a true rest fashion. We're verse 11 in week five. So it should be pretty easy to get to. All right. So this is the Apostle Paul picking up where he left off. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So first off, Paul's zeal and passion here really, really astound me. And I'm going to get into a little bit of that. But see, when he wrote this, the, the book to Rome, to the church in Rome, he was somewhere toward the end of his third missionary journey. So doing the math at this point, somewhere between 20 to 25 years worth of being in ministry at this point. And this man has labored. Uh, I mean... Just like I said, as I continue to highlight some things, but just the zeal and passion that he still has in his voice after what he's been through is just continuing to drive. His love continues to push. It continues to, to get, I would even say it's stronger than when he started. It's his labor for what he's doing to carry the gospel forward is really evident in his life and in the stories we read about him. So I think I have a, a map that we can put up here. But I've been doing a lot of research. Like I said, in, this, in the last few weeks, I've really, really started studying a lot of just first century, the first century church, first century culture, um, a lot of the other foreign deities and stuff that Paul was having to come in and preach against um, and kind of prove that Christ was the true God and that a lot of these other gods were just totally fake. I mean, they're all fake and they were all false gods. But as I started studying some of that, I started really reading. They believe that the Apostle Paul, here's a, a short map of all three of his journeys. And scholars have added up the miles. They believe this man traveled over 10,000 miles between foot, horseback, camel, water, however you want to look at it, to spread the gospel. And so my mind starts translating that. Uh, 
A lot of you already know what I do, but I, I used to travel a ton to chase broken towboats up and down the river to fix them. I've spent a, a ton of my life in New Orleans, so I immediately just equate that to from here to New Orleans. And uh, Dr. Google, yesterday as we were talking, I uh, put it in and put it in on the foot traffic side. And so I know just from doing mileage reports that it's about 600 miles from Paducah to New Orleans one way. Okay? So when you replicate that on Google, that is a seven and a half day walk straight from here to New Orleans. That's not stopping for food. That's not eating or drinking. That's just a solid walk. And if you were to replicate that, it is 75 days of straight walking from here to New Orleans and back for the amount of time this man spent laboring for the gospel. I mean, literally, you really put it into perspective, 2,000 years later, we're still reading doctrine that this man wrote because of the impact of his life and labor for the kingdom. So with that said, I want to get into verse 11 and really start to exposit what Paul's saying here to the church, to us today. And so I've highlighted in verse 11, we've already read it once, but I've highlighted a few things on the scripture that we're going to pull up here, a few words, again, that um, I think are really important in this particular scripture. So verse 11 says, for I long to see you. I long to see you. It's not, it's not a, I wish I could get there, I can't. He's not grumbling. He says, I long, like I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to come see you. I can't wait to be a part of your family. I can't wait that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Now, spiritual gift. There could be a lot of things under that umbrella. Could that mean healings and exorcisms and all kinds of the stuff that we see in the early church? Sure. I'm sure he probably meant some of that. Could it mean just faith? Could it mean it could mean a myriad of things. But really, I want to highlight today what I think are the fundamental ground rules of what he meant. And I've got it laid out in lots more scripture. So on Paul's second missionary journey, he establishes a church in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, however you want to say it. I've heard it pronounced a bunch of different ways. But his first letter that scholars believe that he ever wrote was back to the church in Thessalonica. And I'm going to read some scripture out of the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to read 9 through 12 to kind of articulate what I think Paul's really talking about here. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, again, there he is bringing the Lord in, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own. And so I see here, 
that Paul wanted to, he just wanted to labor. He wanted to be in the middle of this body of believers. He wanted, to, he wanted to be in the trenches. He wanted to be in the ditches. He didn't want to come and be a glorified saint on a pedestal. He wanted to come to be a humble servant with a shovel. And you see it. You see it in his writing. You see here. He even says, like, God is my witness. Like, you remember how we came and we, we labored. You know, James 2, James chapter 2 talks about seeing a need and telling someone like, hey, you know, you're cold or hungry, like, well, be warmed and filled, peace. You know, I mean, it literally says that, like, what, what good is that? What good is that? There's, there's labor involved. There's, there's something to be done there. And I'm not at all, I'm going to reiterate this several times today, I am not at all saying that a salvation by works is a thing because it's not. It is saved by, you're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But works is followed by faith. They are, it is evidence of your faith. And then even further articulating, I think Paul, what really Paul's trying to say here is a picture of what uh, one of my Southern Baptist preacher friends would say is red letter Jesus talking. But in Matthew chapter 20, Verses 26 through 28. I think this is, again, just another picture of the same thing that Paul's saying here. It shall not be so among you. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples then and replicating to us as the church today. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So again, I, think, I just think about the Apostle Paul, and I think about everything that he did and that he stood for and that he, uh, that he accomplished and it's not to glorify Paul, but he's the example that we've, that's been chosen for us to look at and to mirror a lot of things that he did. And I think about, I was telling A.B., that, like, like I said, just as I've been studying first century culture and like the, the city of Ephesus, when Paul and his band of guys walk into the city of Ephesus, like at that time, that city was one of the largest cities in the known world. And they had the largest temple at that time ever constructed to their goddess of Artemis. And so I put in this picture as I'm studying. This temple was a wonder of the world. There were 127, like, four-foot diameter, all marble carved columns. This temple, they think, was somewhere like 350, 400 feet long, 150 foot wide, and probably four stories tall, all to a fake God. And to think about the Apostle Paul coming into a city like that and saying, hey, not only can that goddess not help you or give you any satisfaction, I'm telling you she doesn't even exist. And to think about, to think about just the, the, the environment in which he was so bold as to do this and to think about the lashings and the beatings and the things and for him to just continue to have nothing but hope and faith and encouragement for the church, I think is a really strong picture for us in America today. I mean, we obviously are not in this culture. We, are, we obviously um, are not going to get beaten. I mean, I was reading again in, uh, in the book of Revelation, you know, the studying the seven churches in Asia Minor that 
John wrote the book, the, the letters back to from Jesus. And in the city of Smyrna, for example, they were a very guild-driven city, and a lot of their guilds were led by people who worshipped all these pagan deities and these Roman gods. And so for a Christian back then, a lot of that stuff ended up in orgies and all kinds of crazy parties, and that was part of the worship to these gods. And if you were a Christian, obviously you can't be a part of this stuff. But what would happen is that as you were being a part of this stuff, if you decided not to be anymore because God changed your heart, a lot of times the leaders of these guilds and different things for their trades and things of the sort would be afraid that their gods were going to start condemning the, lucra the lucrativeness of their business. And so they would, you, would you could very quickly lose your job, your identity, your money. And so I look at this and I see that as Paul is not only driving through all of this, he's encouraging believers to do the same. And he's encouraging people to take a step in faith and to, to push through what's happening in the world around them to look toward the prize of Jesus. And I think the biggest part of that is really, he really articulates it well in this next verse. And it's out of the book of Philippians. And this is a little bit tricky. I hope I don't get tongue-tied here. So when the book of Philippians, Paul actually wrote probably four to five years after he wrote the book of Rome, to, to Romans. And he was actually, at the time when I read this verse here, he had already made it to Rome, just like he had prayed, except he made it to Rome as a prisoner. He's in jail, and he's in house arrest. And so thinking about that concept, so now he's made it to Rome in this scripture I'm reading, and he's under house arrest, and this is still his mentality. Starting in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And I see that his spiritual gift, I think, what he really means by imparting to them a spiritual gift is his life. He say again right here, he's literally saying, if you didn't catch that, he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He's literally saying, if it costs me my life for the sake of your faith, then I am glad, I'm rejoicing, I will let Jesus pour out my life today. It's worth it. I mean, that's heavy. That's to really be there, to really have your heart to where you really love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to really love your neighbor as yourself. That's challenging for me. You know, there's a lot of days where I feel like I can check the box and like, I'm a pretty good Christian today. But I mean, if I'm really examining my heart and pointing it to this book, I'm like, God, I, like, I have to have you to even think correctly. I have to have you to even 
to have my eyes focused in the right direction, I have to have you. So then we're going to move on to verse 12. And this is where Paul, this is where this, to me, this really shows his humility. He says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And see, this really struck me because this is, this is Paul. He's been in his ministry 20 years at this point in his life. I mean, he knows that he's got a special calling. He knows that he's got revelation from the Lord. He knows that he's got a one-way ticket to heaven. I mean, if anybody knows, Paul knows. And he's still saying here that, hey, I can be humble enough to admit that if your guys' faith is being proclaimed in all the world, I need some of that. You know what I mean? He's saying, like, I, I, I can benefit from that. I longing to come because I want to benefit from that. I mean, I think everybody in the known world knew that a body of believers could benefit from Paul. But Paul here is saying, I can benefit from you. And that really struck me, like, this, the humility of this man. And I mean, the, I mean, the man saw Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus. He confounded the wisest of the Jews he could, get anybody, he could get anybody there in a theological tongue-tied debate and just smoke them. You know, I mean, like just the amount of revelation that he had is just astounding. And to, like, and to still say that this man would, would still be humble enough to admit, like if there is a thriving body of believers, even in the midst of the stuff that he's going to line out as we continue through Romans, I mean, stuff they had wrong and little theological quirks and different pathways that he's trying to corral back between the Gentiles and the Jews and different things, but we still see that he's saying, look, there's something happening there that I can grow from. And then again, he's just, I don't think he, even thinking about him encouraging them. I don't think it came from a place of, I'm Paul. I've got all this knowledge and all this wisdom. I think it's still of a, I can come labor with you. I can, I can come and help you. I can come and impart to you things that Jesus has given me. And he just desires to labor. I mean, you see that all through his life. There's just a desire to be a servant, to be the least, to labor. I see it all through every book of his I read. I mean, the more I study his life, the more I, I just can't wait. He's like a big brother I never had, you know? I just, I can't wait to hug him when I get to heaven, just say thanks. So we'll move to verse 13. And this is the part that kind of resonates heavy with me, and it ties into last week as well. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. See, he's repeating again that he longs to come. Like a lot of times in Greek literature and things of that sort, you know, as Paul was writing this in Greek, the way they emphasized things a lot was to repeat it. You know, like we put... Uh, a lot of exclamation marks on it or we'll make a joke around it or we'll circle it or highlight it. They would repeat things. And so he's repeating this again to make sure that we know his longing was to come. 
He desired to make a difference. And for me, I'm going to be a little transparent with you guys. I mean, I'm kind of in a place right now in my life. Um, I, I'm, I thoroughly enjoy serving here, and I have no, no plans of quitting that. But there is, it's been in my heart since the day I really met Jesus. I have a desire to take the gospel somewhere it's never been before. That's, that's something I want to do. Now, right now in my life, has God made a way for that? No. Has he made a pathway for that? No. Do I have any idea what it even looks like or if it'll even happen? No. Um, and this is a reminder for me. I don't know if anybody else is in that place in your life right now where there's something, again, what I was talking about earlier, there's just a, maybe a desire in your heart that you can just over and over and over again prove biblically that it's nothing but a godly desire, but perhaps the timing is not here yet. You know? And for me, that's a gut check. It's like, well, if the Apostle Paul can recognize that he wants to do something and the time is not yet, then uh, I certainly can't speed up the calendar. So then I, I highlighted in verse 13, I highlighted reap some harvest. Because I want to focus on that too. Because not, not that I want to get completely goal-oriented, or as A.B. was pointing out in our worship team meeting this morning, to kind of get lost in the details. But Paul had a goal and a mission here. And he's saying, like, I want to come, and I want to be a part of what's going on, but I want to reap some harvest. Like, I want to see some people know and grow in Jesus, and some people come to know Jesus that don't currently know Jesus. And another thing is, uh, the more I read through Scripture, I never, ever see harvest without seeing it attached to labor. You know, I never see it. It, it, there's all, it talks about a harvest. You know, I mean, Jesus even says, absolutely, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And it goes back, I go, I'm going to wrap back to James chapter 2 again. The next verse from what I've read through earlier. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And so again, I'm not preaching a works-based salvation, but I am preaching that if God has really changed your heart and he, you really belong to him, that a desire to spend your life for the sake of other people is going to follow. It is a mark of following Jesus. And he points out, among the rest of the Gentiles, we know that he, uh, we know that he had a desire to come to Rome and to be a part of the church in Rome, but it was also he was also looking at it as a somewhat of a desire, as a somewhat of a stopping ground to kind of maybe make a new Antioch so that he could start going into Spain. I mean, he still had goals. He still had a mission. Now, we, we know the Lord took him before he ever got to Spain, but we know that that was a mission that he had. And I think 
that's really what he's articulating here is that, look, I want to come and reap some harvest in you, but there's even more to be conquered. There's even more to do. There's more labor to be had, and I'm joyful to do it. So moving on to verse 14. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. You know, and he, what he's saying there, I think it's a two-part thing. I think, did Jesus supernaturally give the Apostle Paul his specific apostolic revelation that you are going to spend your life and this is going to be what you are doing? Yes, I do believe that. I believe Paul was specifically obligated by Jesus. But I also think that what makes the Christian walk so amazing is that in Paul's heart, Jesus changed his heart to where Paul's joy in that obligation was to lay down his life. It's like, Lord, you don't even have to tell me to do it because you've changed my heart in such a way that I long to do it. I long to spend my life to do it. And so that's what he's saying here. When he's saying both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, he's literally just saying to everybody, I'm obligated because of the knowledge of Jesus that I have and the life that I have lived and the truth that I have seen, I am obligated to every other human in the world to lay down my life for the sake of their life. It's literally what he's saying. Saying out of love, I'm obligated. I'm obligated to live my life for the sake of everybody else. And to forsake what I want and what I need and what I desire. God will give me what I need. I've got to go. I've got to live my life for the sake of other people. You know, you think about it. Anybody in this room that knows Jesus or that will know Jesus... God set you apart before the beginning of anything. Before there was anything that was made, before you even had, before mankind had even had a brain to have thoughts to think about what was going to happen, God had set you apart. And Paul knew that there were saints that just needed to hear the gospel, that just needed the seed dropped. Paul couldn't bring the growth. You know, just like he said, you know, Paul plants and Apollos waters, but it's God that brings the increase. Paul knew he couldn't bring the growth for Christians, but he knew if he could just get there and get the gospel out of his mouth, that God would do the rest. Like in Hebrews 10, it says, For by a single offering, Jesus had perfected for all time those who were being sanctified. Paul knew that, and I put that in there because it's such a precursor. That says that before Jesus died, he knew you, he knew you would belong to him. He died anyway for you to be sanctified. That's what that means. It is a, it is a precursor that you were set apart and that Paul knew that and understood that and knew that if I can just get the gospel there, that is my requirement. That is what I have to do. God will bring the growth. God will bring the power. I just have to get it there. 
And it brings me to a... to a quote, but I'm getting ahead of myself. This is a spoiler alert, actually, because this next scripture that I'm going to use is from Romans 10, so, uh-oh, we're, we're not there yet, but we'll wrap back around to it later. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, four years from now. So, verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? There is the calling. And then that's what's really amazing to me is that we're not, as far as preaching, what I'm doing right now absolutely is preaching. No, I mean, nobody will argue that. But you preach in a lot of ways. You preach with your life. You preach with your relationships. You preach with your sacrifice. You preach with your heart's desire. You preach with how you spend your time, everything you do is preaching the gospel if you belong to Jesus. But it absolutely means to verbally preach. It absolutely means to verbally preach. But the integrity of your life and the way that you walk in life echoes that and it puts a it puts a, just an exclamation point. It puts validity behind the words that are coming out of your mouth. And I was watching a sermon by a guy named David Platt. I'm sure a lot of people in here have heard of him. Maybe you haven't. Um, he's very much involved in international ministry and a lot of things, like I said, that my heart are really kind of aligning with as far as getting the gospel to what they estimate to be three billion people on the planet that have never heard the name of Jesus yeah, you can let that number sink in because this really blows my mind every time I hear it as well. But they estimate that. And he was, there was a, he was preaching and he was in the Himalayas and there's all kinds of villages and all kinds of, all kinds of uh, people that live throughout the foothills and throughout the, the mountain train chain of the Himalayas. So that's where Mount Everest is, if some of you don't know that. And so he's talking about walking and hiking through the Himalayas and he said, you know, all around you, there are pictures of these mountains. And it's this quote here, but I'm leading up to it. So he's got, he said, you just, you could stand and just look 360 degrees all around you. And there is absolutely no doubt of the evidence of God the Father. There's no doubt of God creating probably the most beautiful landscape that we can view with our eyes on this planet. But what he said absolutely blew my mind. You know, because scripture tells us, you know, that, that God made himself known from the beginning of time in the things that were made, that man has no excuse to not believe in God the Father. But what David Platt said right here, and you can throw that quote back up. For what David Platt said here, he said, the mountains declare the glory of God, but they say nothing about Jesus on the cross. That privilege is left for you, for you, and for me. And it's true. We are God's chosen device to get the story of his son spread throughout the earth. It's us. He could do it any way he chose, he chose for it to be us. 
that really sinks in with me, man. I mean, like, to know that God built us not just to, like what Molly was talking about up here, not just to receive from him. He built us to share with him and to be a part of what he's done and what he's doing. We, I mean, ultimately, Jesus is the only one to be praised. But we get to share in living with him in glory. And we get to be a part of spreading his gospel. And in verse 15, Paul says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And I want to highlight something that Pastor Cody even said probably week two or week three. Remember, <clears throat> he's preaching to a this This is to a church. This is to a body of believers. And so he's saying, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you believers. Well, I mean, if they already believe, well, what's the point of the gospel? It's because it is the power of God. It is the only story. It never gets old. The depths and layers of what's happened in the gospel never loses power and magnitude. It never quits stripping away. It never quits pointing back. I heard Alistair Begg even say one time that he has to preach the gospel to himself daily in order to understand the depth of dying to himself daily. So there's always, always more opportunity to preach the gospel. And again, that is verbally. That is to proclaim verbally the story of Jesus. But again, you preach that gospel with your actions, with your life, with your relationships, with your finances. It all echoes and comes behind what you're verbally saying from your mouth. It's just one of those things that the more you seek out, the more you dig in, the more you get baffled and speechless by it. Uh, the, more, the more I study the gospel, the more I realize, like, man, 10 years ago, I didn't know anything about the gospel. But it still impacted me where I was at then. 10 years later, as I'm walking and now I'm a pastor, the gospel affects me even different today. And I'm sure in 20 years, if I'm still here and I'm still a saint walking with the Lord, which I will be. I'll either be here or I'll be in heaven. But I will still be amazed at the gospel. I think Paul Washer even said one time, you can spend an eternity of eternities tracking him down and you'll never even get your arms around the foothill of his mountain. And then as this morning, as I was kind of finishing up and just preparing just to echo what I'm talking about, about preaching the gospel from every facet of your life, it came to me as I was getting ready. And it's, it just If the gospel is a paintbrush, then every area of your life is the canvas. Every area of your life is the canvas. And that brings me to my absolute main point for today. And that is to be like Paul and spend your life 
to preach the gospel. Maybe you're not called to walk 10,000 miles on foot, but you're called. You're called to preach the gospel. You're called to lay down your life every day. Just like Cody and I were talking multiple times, the thought of jumping up right now and running somewhere to the Middle East and you know, being killed for the sake of the gospel can be really theatrical and really dramatic and maybe even kind of exciting for a lot of believers to die for the sake of Jesus' name that way. But the really hard way is to die to yourself every day. The really, the really hard way is to submit to Christ every day, submit to that gospel, to submit to the fact that Jesus paid the price and you were bought with a price. Right, Josh? That you were bought with a price. And when you think about it that way, that's essentially God saying that you're the most valuable thing in all of creation, right? Because how do you determine the value of something? The price that was paid to purchase it, right? So, I mean, if the Son of God came to earth to purchase your salvation and your relationship, how valuable are you? So, believers, again, I'm not getting at a workspace salvation, but labor for one another. Love one another. Go out of your way to help somebody. Go out of your way to spend time. Sacrifice your time just to hang out with somebody who's a believer. Labor. Pour out your life for the sake of the gospel. Be bold. Speak the gospel at work. What are they going to do? Fire you? God will get you another job. I know that's extreme, but I'm serious. I'm serious. It's worth it. It's worth it. Think about it. One day we're going to be standing in front of Jesus and what you did for a living, your career, none of it matters. It's who you belong to. It's worth it. It's worth looking like the idiot. It's worth looking like the old traditional fool who wants to talk about the gospel while everybody else is woke. You know, I mean, it's worth it. It is, man. It's worth it. So I'm just calling you to check your heart and submit to truly loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Even greater than yourself because God will never, ever, it might not be in this lifetime, but God will never let your sacrifice go unpaid. He might not, he doesn't promise that it'll happen in this lifetime, but he promises that any sacrifice you have for the sake of gospel will be absolutely worth it. I even put in my notes here, be a faith-raving lunatic. And I just can't, I can't play church anymore in my life. And I mean, I don't, but... It just, if you know Jesus, it's this unquenchable fire. It doesn't go away. And it's just like, Jesus, what, how?
can I only have one life to give? How can I only have one one set of, how can I have one me to give you? You're worth 10,000 of me. So believers this morning, I don't care if you pray down here. I don't care if you pray back there. I don't care. Just pray. If you don't know what to pray, confess that to the Lord. He's, he, he knows you. Like, I don't think people understand really the relationship that's there. You don't have to pretend to be all holy and say his name 25 times in a prayer. You don't have to know how to pray. All you got to do is sit down and say, God, I want to know you the way that guy up there is talking about. Please get rid of whatever's in my heart, blocking it. Help me change my thought processes. Help conform my heart. Whatever it is that you got to do. But man, the relationship's really there, guys. I'm serious. It will change everything. It'll change the way you look, the way you think, the way you talk, the way you act. It'll give you friends you never thought you should have had that are real friends. Sometimes even friends that aren't fun to have because they'll, they'll say, hey, man, you need to get your stuff together. Sometimes it's even the friends that sting in this life. But I tell you what, in eternity, I know these dudes. I know these dudes will, will be rejoicing with Jesus forever. So now I want to talk to the unbelievers, people that would say that you are truly not a believer or that you, you would say, maybe I've heard about Jesus, but I don't know him the way that that guy up there is talking about him. I want to talk to you. So with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I want to lay out the picture for what I'm talking about and what I'm crying about. So there is a God in heaven who created everything. And his son was with him from the beginning in eternity. And when God created mankind, we failed. We failed. And we have nothing to show. We have nothing we can prove. We have no amount of money or sacrifice or labor or anything that would bridge the gap between God being a truly good and perfect judge and us being condemned to sin. There's no way that that path can work out because if God is a perfect judge, he can't forgive somebody who's caught in the middle of of a crime because then there's no justice but God in his infinite wisdom from the beginning of time knew the path and he sent his son Jesus stepped out of heaven and one of my favorite verses you guys have heard me quote it up here a bunch but he counted his equality with God the father a thing not to be grasped but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant there's that servant again. The chief of our salvation was the chief servant. And he stepped out of heaven, out of deity, and he came to earth and he took in his flesh and in his spirit the punishment that we deserve. The punishment that if you're sitting in your seat right now and you hear my voice, you know that you deserve it. 
you know you deserve to die and go to hell and accept the wrath of God forever because of your sins against him. But I'm telling you right now, if you hear my voice and there is conviction in your heart and you say, is there hope for me? Yes, his name is Jesus. And he came and he took the wrath of Almighty God for you so that you can walk in victory. So that you can walk in the life that I'm talking about up here, a life that makes you joyfully willing to lay down your life for the sake of your friends. A life that says, whatever the cost, whatever I must pay to pour my life out for the sake of others is worth it. So, if you're in your seat this morning and you don't know this Jesus and you don't know the truth of what I'm talking about, while everybody's head's still bowed and eyes are still closed, I just want you to raise your hand right now so that I make sure that I see you because we want to talk with you. Somebody, Myself, a pastor, a deacon, somebody will pray with you. So right now, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know Jesus, that wants to know Jesus. Just make sure I see you. Not gonna draw it out, but man, I feel the Holy Spirit. I feel the Holy Spirit. All right. Again, if there's anybody in this room after service that wants to talk, that needs some guidance, that says, that I feel Jesus pulling on my heart. What do I do now? Please, it's literally life and death. Talk to somebody. Anybody here would be willing to sacrifice time for that? I'll speak on their behalf. So as we sing this last song, Come to the Father, I just want to let the title of that song do its thing. I want us to just be a church. Believers, if, if you want to pray with somebody, shake off that traditional, I got to sit in the pew or go down front thing. Like go grab somebody in the pew and hug their neck and just tell them you need prayer or go pray for them. Just shake off that traditional thing. That's what we're doing here. Let's just be the church this morning.